failure, fear. How do you get victory in the face of failure and fear? Today, Pat Zugarin gives us one of the greatest examples in history, and he opens up his heart and shares some very transparent, personal stories. If you have ever experienced failure or fear, you're about to be lifted up in victory. This is Evidence and Answers with scholar, author, and speaker, Pat Zucharin. I'm Kevin Harris. Welcome to Evidence and Answers. This is a radio and podcast program that gives reasons for faith in Christ and addresses the big questions of life. Pat deals with topics like atheism, Zen Buddhism, Darwinian evolution, and Islam. And we have some of the best resources available on these topics at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. There you can download past programs featuring interviews with leading scholars, as well as Dr. Zugarin's books and articles. That's at evidenceandanswers.org. Now let's go to Pat Zuckerin before a live audience as he discusses failure in fear, victory in grace. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13 through 15 is what we'll be going through today. You don't hear many sermons on this particular passage. Many consider it to be a tragic story, but it teaches us some very valuable lessons. So as we begin, let's pray together. Father, we pray that your words would be what we hear today. Help this frail and fragile speaker to communicate your truth in a way in which we can understand and learn from this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have blown it in life? How many of you have experienced failure? Sure, we all have, right? You know, it's, unfortunately, it's a part of life, part of the life experience that we all go through. We're all going to experience failure. We can either learn and grow from our failure. You know, sometimes our failures are our greatest lessons. But oftentimes, we can be crippled, and sometimes we can be destroyed by the failures of our past. You know, it's real difficult. I mean, it's easy for me to say, well, leave the past behind you. But that's a lot harder to put into practice, ain't it? To just simply leave the hurts and the wrongs and all those painful experiences of the past, to just leave it behind, learn from it, and move on. You know, the failures of our past can often haunt us and cripple us and keep us from trusting God and obeying Him and experiencing the fullness in life and accomplishing His will and purpose and mission for our lives. Because we're afraid to trust Him. We're afraid to step out in obedience, to step out in faith and obey Him. And therefore, we don't experience the fullness of God and all that He means for our life. Because we're crippled, afraid of the failures of the past. And the people of God are, are not called to live in fear, crippled by the hurts of the past and the failures that we have faced. Instead, we are called to leave the past behind, to learn from it, and to face the future with a sure faith trusting in God, focused on Him, fulfilling the mission that He has called us to do. Well, how do we leave the past in the past? How do we keep from having our failures weigh us down? Well, this is the valuable lesson we learn in our story today, Numbers chapter 13 through 15. In chapters 13 and 14, it teaches us the danger and the crippling effect of unhealthy fear. And in chapter 15, it teaches us how to live victorious overcoming the failures of the past. Let me set the stage here. The people of Israel have been delivered from 400 years of slavery in the land of Egypt through the miraculous hand of God. God has performed some powerful miracles never seen before. The 10 plagues that struck Egypt. And then he delivers the people from Pharaoh's army by crossing, by parting the Red Sea and then enclosing it on the army of Egypt, destroying one of the most powerful armies of that time. And through all these great miracles, 
God has guided His people and showed them His faithfulness and His power. And they have gone, wandered through the Sinai Desert. They've journeyed there for several months. And if you go to the Sinai Desert today, if you go to the Middle East, it is a barren, barren place. Being there and going through the countries of Jordan and several other countries, it's a barren place. Man, if I were wandering in that desert for several months, when I came to the Promised Land, I don't care if I died. I just want to get out of there. But when you come to the land of Israel, suddenly you just see a green and lush valley. That's how great the contrast is. Now, the children of Israel have gone south into the Sinai Peninsula and then have come up north to the land of Kadesh Barnea. They are now just south on the border of the Promised Land. They are there and ready to take it. And God says, go in and conquer the promised land. I've already given it to you. You've seen the great powers I've done in Egypt. You saw the things that I can do. Now go in there and take the land. Well, the people elect 12 spies and the 12 spies go throughout the land. They begin in the south. They go all the way up to the north and they come back exploring the land. And indeed, they say the land is filled with milk and honey. It's a prosperous land. And if you go to the land of Egypt today, it is indeed a fertile, rich land flowing with milk and honey. I remember going through the land of Israel and just seeing how lush and green it was. It just surprised me. And I remember looking on the trees and it was huge pink things about that big, you know, about the size of a coconut. And I was looking up at the tree and I asked one of the natives there, I said, what is that thing? If that thing falls off the tree, it's going to kill somebody. It's huge. And he said, well, that's a pomegranate. And, and I was shocked. I'd never seen a pomegranate that huge. The pomegranates here are the size of, of, of a small baseball, maybe at the biggest. Out there, that thing is huge. It's, uh, anyway, they, they, you know, they make juice out of that kind of, it is just so huge. It just uh, surprised me. But it's a rich, rich and fertile land compared to the desert and the barren waste that surrounds it. And in fact, the spies go through the land and they cut off uh, a bunch of grapes. And, and it is so huge, they've got to carry it on a pole between two guys in order to bring it back to show the people of Israel. And it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord has promised. And he says, go in and take that land. But the spies give a different kind of report. They say this in verse 26 of chapter 13. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from Genesis chapter 6. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Now the ten spies come back and say, yeah, this is a fertile land. But they present an exaggerated and wicked report meant to strike terror into the hearts of the people. They say, hey, these cities are well fortified and the people are huge. There's no way we can conquer this city. You know, I don't totally blame them. You know, the people of Israelites have been slaves in Egypt. They don't have a strong standing army. They don't have the kind of weaponry that the people 
of the promised land had, who are settled in there, dug in into their fortified forts over there and cities. There's no way they can conquer it on their own. I remember playing football, and we were playing against a Hawaiian school in Hawaii there, Kamehameha. If you know Hawaiians, they're huge. They're a lot bigger than us Asians. And I remember walking out onto the field and looking at the field and at the stands and everything. And then the tunnel underneath us was the home team coming out. And the first people that came running out were the cheerleaders. And I looked down and I saw the cheerleaders coming up onto the field. And I saw that they were bigger than me. And I tell you, I, I look like grasshoppers in their eyes, you know. So I kind of relate with the people here. But you see in their report, nothing is mentioned of God or the faithfulness of God. And this is the danger and crippling effect of unhealthy fear. It causes us to lose the proper perspective on reality. Suddenly now, problems are blown up and they seem insurmountable. Suddenly it's impossible in any way to get through the situation we, uh, we are facing. Problems are just blown up. We lose our perspective on reality when our focus shifts from the Lord and we focus upon the problems and the obstacles before us. That's when, when we lose our focus, that's when fear takes over and unhealthy fear can have a very crippling effect on the way we think and the way we behave. You know, a good example is in Matthew chapter 14. The disciples are in the boat trying to cross the lake of Galilee when Jesus suddenly is walking out there on the water right towards them and they're so frightened. And in chapter 14, verses 29 through 30, the frightened disciples yell to Jesus. And Peter says to them, uh, says to Jesus, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out and walk on the water. And it says here in the passage that Peter began to walk on the water towards Jesus. But then the verse reads, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. As long as Peter had his eyes on the Lord, he was walking fine. He was walking on water. But as soon as he shifted to the waves and his surroundings, that's when he began to sink. And that's the same thing with us. As long as we keep our focus on the Lord and understand the character of God and who goes with us, we're okay. But once we focus on the obstacles and all the problems in front of us, we lose perspective on reality. And just like Peter, when we take our eyes off the Lord, we begin to sink. And your application is this. This is the life application we learn. You need to understand that when you experience unhealthy fear, your focus has shifted from the Lord unto the circumstances around you. When you are overcome by fear, it is time to retreat and regain your focus and bring it back on the Lord once again. Focus on the character of God, His faithfulness. These words of Scripture should be ringing through your mind. And bring your focus back onto the Lord, not on the circumstances and the problems that you face. The wrong focus leads to an unhealthy fear. And succumbing to this unhealthy fear, unfortunately, leads to even more devastating consequences, as we learned in the next chapter. The people are focusing on the problems and obstacles before them succumb to their fear. Verses 1 through 4 reads this, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And he said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. See, the fear of the people focusing on the obstacles and problems in front of them consumed them. And this fear led them to irrational thinking and led them into further sin. 
And often that's the way it is when we succumb to our unhealthy fears. We're no longer walking in the spirit and power of God. We're walking in the flesh. And we begin to make some unwise decisions as we lose perspective on reality. And the people in their rebellion sought to replace God, find a new leader, go against the will of God, and return back to slavery in Egypt. And they even accused God of wickedness and evil intentions, bringing them to the desert only to die there and their wives and children going to captivity and slavery of these people. You see, fear caused them to lose perspective on reality, to forget that just a few months earlier, God had performed a miraculous feat, defeating the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And throughout the desert, he was covering them with a cloud of shade by day and a pillar of fire by night, providing them the food and protection that they needed. But they forgot all of that as they focused on the problems and the obstacles before them and their focus shifted from God and onto the circumstances around them. And fear caused them not to hear the voice of God anymore. Though the prophets of God were right there in their midst, presenting to them, shouting to them the word and the promises of God, overcome by fear, they could not hear God's voice. And that's the way we become when we panic and give in to unhealthy fear. Moses, Joshua, and Caleb tore their clothes, the passage says, and pleaded with the people and exhorted them to obey God. Go in and take the land. We can do it because God is with us. And they fought for the people to remain faithful to God, to remember all that he had done just a few months earlier and throughout their time in the desert. But the people were no longer listening. And they began to rebel. And as a result, their loss of focus led to fear. Succumbing to that fear led to their failure. We see in verse 26 that the Lord must render his judgment upon his, these people at this time. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hands to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. And the loss of focus led to fear. Succumbing to their fear caused the people to act in the flesh and go in rebellion against God. And as a result, judgment is rendered and they fail to enter into the promised land. God says for 40 years you're going to wander in the desert until this generation passes away and you will not enter the land. And fear caused their failure and it caused them to live power powerless and defeated lives. Well, the people panic in verse 39 and said, Oh, okay, all right, we'll obey God now and, and we'll go and attack the promised land. And Moses warns them. He says in verse 41, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? In this you will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you. You will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord of the covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. And the fear of the people now became their reality. And Israel fails to enter into the promised land and is assigned to wander the desert for the next 40 years. You know, Psalm 29 verse 15 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be saved. You know, I had a good friend named Ken, had a thriving business, but he was betrayed by his partner 
and suddenly now he was stuck with a business on the verge of bankruptcy. Desperate to save his business, he made some ill-advised loans at some very high interest rates and some bad investments. In fact, he even dipped in to his retirement account and emptied that out and to his children's college savings. He went into that and cleaned that out in a moment of panic to try and save his business at all costs. In a moment of panic and fear to try and save his business, afraid of losing face and embarrassment and all of that, thinking that these investments and loans would save his business. Well, in a normal state of mind, I know Ken, he wouldn't make those kinds of decisions. A rational thinking person would not make those kinds of decisions. I don't have a business background, but I even know that those are bad moves. Why did he make them? Well, because he had given in to unhealthy fear. His focus had gone now from the Lord. Looking at the circumstances around him caused him not to act guided by the Word of God or the Spirit of God, but by fear. And he was now acting in the flesh. All these plans from these ill-advised investments and loans had failed. And he was now on the verge of needing to go to court and declare bankruptcy. And he called me and I could tell the panic in his voice. And he said, can we get together for coffee? And I said, sure. So we met at the Starbucks up in Allen. And I sat down with Ken and he was telling me the whole situation. And he looked at me and he said, Pat, you know the worst part is, I haven't told my wife. I'm going to have to tell her now that all our savings, our kids' tuition and everything is gone. You know, we sat there and we needed to go back and start beginning to undo all the bad decisions and help Ken make things right. That from here on out, his focus will be on the Lord and he'll make the right decisions to get himself out of the jam that he was in. You know, the life application we learn from this passage is that it is unwise to make decisions when you're in a state of unhealthy fear. Fear leads you into acting in the flesh. Your eyes are no longer focused on the Lord. You're no longer guided by the Word of God or the Spirit of God. And fear makes you susceptible to any kind of advice that may be thrown at you out there in, in a time of desperation and need. You know, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but, but a spirit of courage and power when we're focused and walking with Him. And it's unwise to make decisions when in a state of fear. When you're panicking, when you're in a state of unhealthy fear, it's time to go back. Get your focus back on the Lord. Get in tune with God through prayer, through His Word, through the fellowship that you have, and then make your decisions. This would be a very tragic story if the story ended here. But the story does not end here. The story ends in chapter 15. In verse 1 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them this, After you enter the land, I am giving you as a home, and you present to the Lord offerings made by fire from the herd or the flock as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Whoa, wait a minute. After you enter the land. Verse 2. God is speaking as if it's already done. And you know what? It is. See, God's plans are not defeated by our failure. God is faithful, and His plans are not defeated by our sin and our unfaithfulness. God states here to the children of Israel, after you enter the land, see, His plans are not defeated, and the people have a great hope. Well, the adults may not enter into the land, but I'll tell you what, talk to any parent here. If they knew it's their kids that are going to enter into the promised land, that is a great joy and a great hope. And God says, you know what, it's as good as done. After you enter the land, See, God's plans for Israel are not defeated by their faithfulness and their failure. God is faithful to His promise and to His people despite our sin and our unfaithfulness. There's no sin so great, no failure so great, that the faithfulness and the grace of God is not greater still. You know, 
just a couple of years ago, 2006, may have been my worst year. Personal tragedy and heartache. You know, I don't have time to go into it all now, but it, it was devastating, the things that I had gone through. And at times when I really needed a friend, I was met with criticism, some true, some untrue, and extremely hurtful from guys that I just needed, men and women, that I just, I just needed to lean on. But the condemnation and the criticism that I received was just overwhelming. The cursing and the swearing that I got uh, was just uh, overwhelming. And I was in a doctoral program, and uh, I was suspended from the doctoral program. Uh, cancellation of many speaking engagements. And uh, it was probably the worst period in my life. And I was ready to walk away from, from ministry, just walk away from it all, saying, I don't need this stuff anymore. And I said, God, if you want me to continue in this line of work, you're going to have to uphold me now. And uh, it, it seemed like I was wandering through a desert all alone, just the uh, overwhelming odds. And uh, people that probe, good friends around me, uh, were saying, Pat, hang in there. We know you've done all that you could. God is faithful. If you've walked with integrity, God is faithful and his grace will come through. And at that time I was going, ah, right, right, right. Well, a couple years have gone by and uh, I was reinstated into the doctoral program. You know, they did a full-on investigation and months later they called me and said, you know what, we've talked it over with everyone. We've talked to everyone involved. We, we know that you've walked with integrity and you, you did everything you possibly could, you and your friends. We want you back in the program and we want you to finish. And the very prof that kicked me out of the program uh, is the very one that brought me back in, who fought the hardest to bring me back in. And in fact, after my dissertation was done, he said, Pat, this is really good stuff. Let's turn this into a book. So the prof that kicked me out of the program, well, we will be coming out with a book uh, in 2009. Uh, we just got picked up by Baker, one of the biggest Christian publishing houses in the world. But I was reinstated and I, and I finished the program. And God continued to open speaking opportunities, not only here in the U.S., but more throughout Asia and throughout the world. And some critics came and some apologized, some didn't. That's all right. But through it all, I saw God's faithfulness and His grace overcoming my sin and my failure of the past. That I didn't have to be crippled by the past anymore. That His faithfulness and His grace are far greater than any failure or sin in my life. I remember at the church I attend up there in McKinney, I remember that uh, we, we have a pastor on staff who fell into adultery, wouldn't through several years of restoration and, and five years later, going through all the restoration programs, came to the board and said, I still feel, uh, you know, I believe God has called me back to the ministry at this time. And the church said, we're behind that. And so they came, they explained to the church the whole situation one Sunday morning and they reinstated him back as an associate pastor. There's another guy on staff. Uh, he had committed a serious crime and he was thrown in jail. And he was in jail for seven years. Came out went through the church restoration program and several years had gone by and he came up to the church staff and he says, I believe God has called me back into the ministry. And the church examined his, his call and went before the church and said, this man has spent time in jail. This is what he has done. He's not to be here or here. He will function in this capacity and we stand behind his call before God. Well, what a courageous thing. I mean, a lot of people left the church because of that. But I remember speaking to one of the pastors and I said, you know, I said, uh, I agree with what you've done. Just help me put a handle on this. We, we have an adulterer, former adulterer, and a former convict on staff. How do we explain that? Won't the people say, oh, you're compromising your, your integrity, you're lowering your standards? And the pastor looked at me and he said, Pat, are you saying that sin and failure is greater than the grace of God? Is that what you're saying? I said, no way. He said, Pat, he said, there's no sin or failure so great that the grace of God is not greater still. And if God grants unto them grace, shouldn't we as well? 
And I said, yeah, you're right. And he said, Pat, if we ever make a mistake in this church, we're going to err on the side of grace, not on the side of law. And I said, that's great. That's why I want to be a part of this ministry here. You know, God's plans for our lives will not be defeated by our sin, by our failure. They will indeed come to pass. God is faithful. God is gracious. That is the hallmark of his character. And we can face whatever may come because our confidence rests in God and his character, not in our abilities. And remember this, there's no failure or sin so great that the faithfulness and grace of God is not even greater still. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, Faithful is he who calls you, for he shall bring all things to pass. We don't know what the future may hold for us. We don't know what failures and pain we're going to face in the days to come. However, we need not live in fear or haunted and crippled by past failures. Let's face the challenges ahead of us with confidence in the faithfulness and the grace of God. You may be sitting here saying, Pat, you don't know the sins that I've committed. You don't know the things that I have done. And I don't. But I'll tell you what, there's no sin, no failure so great that cannot be overcome by the faithfulness and the grace of God. Well, thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers today with Pat Zuckerman. And our prayer is that we answer the hard questions that all of us ask and that we equip you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And if you're a seeker or a skeptic, we hope we've challenged you with the various evidences which support the claims of Christ. There are a multitude of resources available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Interviews with leading scholars, past shows that you can download, and we deal with topics from atheism to Zen Buddhism to Islam to the occult, the cults, agnosticism, and contemporary issues which face us today. And by the way, when you purchase our resources, you keep Pat Zuckerman speaking out all over the world. Help support a quality apologetics program for radio and podcast and Pat's speaking engagements on college campuses and churches all over the world evidenceandanswers.org Go there today, evidenceandanswers.org For Pat Zuckerman, I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.